All right, good morning. Have y'all just about got that video memorized? See, some of y'all, I know some of y'all are out there today and you're going, I bet we'll be doing this series at Christmas. We started in the first Sunday in January, and now here we are in March. But we've got today. Now, this is if everything goes according to plan. We've got today, next week, and then we're going to do like a summary message on the end of it. And we'll launch into our next series, which I'm really excited about. It's going to take us into Easter, and it's called, after, after the book, there's a book called The Insanity of God. And we're going to be doing a series leading up to Easter on the insanity of God. And we are just so glad that you are here today. And we have, again, been talking about surrender. We've got our big white flag there. And we've been talking about with kind of this thought. This, we'll cover this in three weeks when we summarize. You know, how different would our lives be? How different would our church be? How different would the world, our world be, if we surrendered us to Christ? And we called it the Magnificent Seven. You know, how, how different would it be if we surrendered our eyes? How would we see differently? How would we see people differently and circumstances differently? How would it be if we surrendered our ears? How, how different would the world be if we really truly surrendered our heart and our minds? And, and, and how different would it be if we surrendered our mouth and our, today, our hands, and next week, our feet? And I really honestly believe we stumbled into something really huge because if we totally surrendered out to God, it would radically change us and the process, God would use us as his tools to change the world around us. So today we want to talk about our hands. We want to talk about ministry. Really, you know, someone once said, correctly and wisely, that money is simply a tool. And these hands of ours are simply tools that God has given us to do his work, to do his ministry in this world. Let's flash back to 1987. And in 1987... Something happened that involved a little 18-month-old girl. See if any of y'all recognize this picture. Anybody remember this? This is baby Jessica. Baby Jessica was 18 months old. And she was in the back, her, her uh, aunt's yard. Her mom was back there with her. And mom stepped in the house to take a, a five-minute phone call. And she came back, and baby Jessica was gone. And in that backyard was a, a well, and the well was eight, now get this in your mind, eight inches, eight inches. And baby Jessica walked across the yard and fell into this eight-inch hole. And she fell 22 feet. Of course, they found out what was going on, and they had made an attempt to rescue her. And it went on for two days. CNN, which was a new network back in those days, CNN spent two full days covering the rescue of baby Jessica. And the, and the energy they expended and the expense they spent to rescue her is just incredible. They went alongside the eight-inch hole and they dug a 29-foot shaft and went straight down about three feet from baby Jessica, went under her, tunneled over, and rescued her that way. I'm glad to report that she did survive, and she's still with us today. Now, again, you would kind of say, wow, that's a lot of effort for one person. That's a lot of expense for one person. Should they really have gone to that much expense for one person? And, of course, most of us, I'm sure somewhere in this crazy world, there were some people who go, well, that was really a lot. Maybe it really wasn't worth it until... 
until it becomes your 18-month-old granddaughter. And, and then at that point, no expense, no cost would be too great, would it? Well, somehow, and I, I can't, I really wrestle getting my arms around this, but somehow God saw us as that valuable. We are, now listen, here's the deal. That was an innocent child. That was an innocent 18-month-old toddler who happened to walk the wrong way at the wrong time and fell this 22 feet and could have very easily died. The Bible says that we are like totally depraved. We are totally separated from God. You know, if, if we were to go before God and he's sitting there and, and, and he was to say, well, what do you bring? Why should I let you into my kingdom? Why should I, I, I love you? Why should I extend my grace to you? We just have to hold our hands up and go... Well, there is nothing. I mean, we say, well, we got these good works. And then the Bible turns around and says that, that all our good deeds are like filthy rags. And in fact, you know, the standard's way up here. And the Bible says that we never met the standard, never could meet the standard. We weren't innocent. We're totally guilty. And yet God had a plan of rescue. And his plan of rescue involved his son becoming flesh. And, and again, I, I, you hear this over and again, but I hope it just gets hammered into your heart that it was not a murder. He was not a martyr. We even said it in Sunday school today, he willingly, he willingly allowed himself to be nailed to a Roman cross, something like this. Of course, before that, being scourged and beaten and spit upon and, and a crown of thorns platted on his head and all of it intentional. In fact, Jesus said, I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. And so he comes, he dies on this Roman cross. And the cool part is, normally that's the end of the story. But not in this case. Because they put him in an empty tomb. And then three days later, he resurrected, proving that he was not just a good man. He was not just a good teacher. Proving he was something like no other person. He was God in the flesh. He was God in the flesh. And it's just incredible. Now look at me. What you got to get, and if this doesn't move you, then that means we just need to get moved. You just need to get moved. He did it for you. He did, and I want you to get the big head and say, well, you know, if I was the only one. But the truth is, if you were the only one, he would have died on the cross for you. And the only motivating factor, not what you could do for him, not that you could be a missionary and go to Africa, not that you could give money. The only motivating factor was his love for you. That's it. Didn't deserve it. And yet he went to every expense to redeem us, just like baby Jessica, to rescue us. Now, the cool part is, is that now God desires to use us to be part of his rescue team. And that's what we want to talk about today. We're in Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. And my only fear today, if you're a Bible person, if you regularly get them, go to church on Sundays, you've been doing this for a long time, mom took me to Sunday school, dad took me to Sunday school, this is a story that you've probably heard a whole, whole bunch. And my real concern is, is that we will let the familiarity of the scripture of the story today rob us of its power. Now, as I've gotten older... It's awful easy for preachers to take scriptures and grab cool things out of it. may not be exactly what the author meant, but hey, it sure preaches good. And, and I want you to know something. I do not feel what we're going to present today in any way does that. 
I believe the details that we have in this story are there to teach us a very, very important lesson. There's, there's this picture, and then there's this bigger picture about how God wants to rescue people and how he wants to use us to be part of the rescue team. So Jesus has gone to Capernaum. He goes there and, and he ministers and heals a bunch of people and, and then just unexplainably says, got to go. Got to go. And so he goes around in different places. And I'm sure the people are going, where did he go? It was so cool. He was healing people, cast out demons, all kind of great things. Where did he go? Well, he went to other places. And then the Bible says in our scripture today that he comes back again to Capernaum. Now, one thing that happens on visit number one to Capernaum is that he goes to Peter's house. I mean, remember Peter. Yeah, Simon Peter, the guy with the foot-shaped mouth, okay? Peter. He goes to Peter's house and, and to show deep love. Now, most of us probably wouldn't do this, or at least some of us wouldn't do that. He heals Peter's mother-in-law. I wonder what Peter thought about that. Oh, come on. Yeah, you know, you know. You know, Jesus, I'm not, she is my mother-in-law. You know how mother-in-laws can be, Jesus, you know, you know. Well, he heals Peter's mother-in-law, and she gets up and serves. That's part of that. Now, they're back in Capernaum, and boy, most everybody agrees, guess where they are? They're back at Peter's house, and things are about to happen. Here's what the Bible says. Mark chapter 2 and verse number 1. So, when he entered Capernaum again, after some days, now here it is, it was reported that he was at home. Home being a temporary place of lodging. Home be a stopover. Home, most likely, and it plays a port part later on, Peter's house. Okay? Now, here's where I don't want you to miss this. It was reported that he was home. It was reported that he was in the house. I think New King James or King James said that. That is reported that he was in the house. Well, listen... Jesus is a people magnet. Come on now. Jesus is a people magnet. It's really crazy. Here, here's what's really crazy is that, you know, people, Jesus loved people. And it's really cool is, you know, the religious folks, he didn't have a lot of use for them. You know, he kind of put them over here. But the people that he really just reached out to were the worst sinners around. Jesus really loved sinners. He would love you and he would love me. It's really cool. But what's really strange is sinners love Jesus. They were nothing alike. I mean, here he is, God in the flesh. He's holy. He's righteous, all these things. And you would think that people, that sinners would feel this big pushback. But they don't. When it's reported that Jesus is in the house, sinners come to the house. That needs to be said today. If we, if we wanted to have a church growth strategy, if you want to reach people, if we want to put out more chairs than even we have today, it's got to be reported that Jesus is in the house. Now, people, we are so blessed with a great praise team. That's awesome. And, you know, people will come to a church for a while, for a while, for, for a, a good set of music. And they'll come, and the preacher will tell just the right combination of jokes, keep it humorous, keep it loud, keep them awake. That for a while, for a while, they'll come and hear a pastor. 
They may come, you know, boy, we discovered last week when we devoured some of the best chicken and dumplings in the whole world and we had like, like three tables full of desserts. People will go, you know, I'm going to Dorisville. Them people eat there, man. I'm all about food, you know. And people will come for the fellowship of the food for a while. But none of those things will keep people. If you want to pack the house, if you want people to stick around, it's got to be reported that Jesus is in the house. Listen, listen, listen. He is the center of the universe and beyond. This Church is never about us. I had to tell uh, my sister that this week. You know, church is not about us. It is about worshiping holy God and about reaching this world with the best news ever, the gospel of Jesus Christ. This church is not about us. Look, look at me. This church can't be about us. It is about, we are a soul-saving station. We're about extending the gospel of Jesus Christ as far as God will allow it to happen. So we've got to remember, and I know it's so simple. You're saying, well, I've heard this. I was in Sunday school. Hear it again. When we show up on these premises, you are not the star of the show. The preacher's not the star of the show. The worship leader's not the star of the show. The youth pastor's not the star of the show. The star of the show is Christ. And I'm telling you, listen, listen, listen. When people know something is happening at a church that no one can explain, it goes beyond a preacher's personality. It goes beyond the environment. It goes beyond the food. They come to that. And that's why Jesus said, oh, by the way, newsflash, the world will know you're my disciples because you love one another. Because like that is so like crazy in the world today. So it needs to be reported. Now, here's the cool. I want you to take home that the best thing that can be said about you is like you're like Jesus. We need to be little Jesuses. You know, again, when we come on campus, we need to be little Jesus. When we go to work, we need to be little Jesuses. We don't need to be little Southern Baptists. Come on now. We don't need to be little religious people. We don't need to be little church people. We need to be little Jesuses to this world. In other words, when people see us, they see whatever their perception of Christ is. Once again, the gospel is going to be offensive. When I stand up here on this stage, or Brent, or David, or little Dave, or someone stands up here, and they preach the gospel, and I tell a person that they are depraved, when I tell them that the Bible says they are totally separated from God, that the best on their best day, they're like the rags that used to, to uh, be wrapped with a leper's sores. That's offensive. Some people are greatly offended by the fact that we believe the Bible teaches that Jesus is not a way. He's not a way to heaven. He is the way to heaven. Let them get offended by that. But let's not offend them. Let's not offend them by our church language. Let's not offend them by by our culture that we have here. Looking down at judgment, what are they doing at our church? They'll be offended. Just don't let us Offend them. Amen? So it was reported that that Jesus was in the house. And and watch what happens. So many people gathered together that there was no room. Full house. No room. Not even in the doorway. And watch this. This is so huge. And he was speaking the message. I like that. I like that. The message. Literally in the Greek, the word is gospel. It is the good news. When Jesus had the crowd there, he preached to them 
the truth. He preached to them the good news of of his gospel. The fact that he was going to die, that he was going to resurrect, and that he came for the sole purpose that people like them and like us can come into relationship with holy God. we got to be real careful there. We want to make sure that when people come to this church, that we preach the gospel. The war, listen, the world doesn't need more jokes. And I tell a joke occasionally. I stumble over myself and y'all get a good laugh and you'll add it. I understand that. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's good speaking. That's just why that's good talent speaking. We have a little humor in there. But I'm telling you, the pulpit is not a place for jokes. It's a place for the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news that people like us can come into relationship with holy God. And that's exactly what he did. He comes in and he speaks. I, I thought it was kind of cool that the word speaking there is not the word for preaching. It's kind of like a conversational style. You know, he wasn't preaching at them. He was talking to them. He was sharing with them from his heart about the gospel of the good news. So here they are, packed house. Jesus is there. People are praying to listen. They've, they've, they've seen what he can do and they're hearing his message. And then the Bible says this. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic, bringing a crippled man to him. Get that. They were coming to Jesus, but they brought someone with them. And the they is five people. They are carrying a bed, a mat, a big blanket. And on that blanket is a guy who's crippled, who can't walk. And, he, and they're coming to Jesus and bringing the man with need with them. I'll let you take that one home. We, again, if we believe that, that our church preaches the gospel, the good news, the best thing we can do is bring people to a place where the good news is preached. Come, but bring. Come, but bring. See, this guy was so blessed. This guy, you know, we're not sure if he was crippled from birth or not. We don't know that. Um, but here he is. He's crippled, and he's fortunate. You know why he's fortunate? There were four people who cared about him. You know, Frank was over here, and Frank had a station probably near the temple gate where he could, you know, do his worship thing, you know, and, and do his, you know, alms for the poor, alms for the poor thing. And he apparently had four friends that cared enough and went to Frank and said, Hey, Frank, we heard that there's a man over in Peter's house that can make a difference. Frank, we want to take you to see Jesus. Aren't you glad? Probably in your story, in your Jesus story, there was someone who shared with you. There was someone who brought you. There was someone who initiated the rescue. They knew that you needed restoring. They knew you needed redeeming. They knew you needed rescue. And someone told you about Jesus. Someone brought you to someone to tell you about Jesus. And that's exactly what these guys were doing. But here's something that will make you think. He was fortunate... Because he was crippled. What? Okay, wait. 
probably had too many donuts out in the lobby. So let's go over this one more time. So I get the part where he says he was fortunate because he had four friends that cared and brought him to Jesus. But you're saying he was fortunate because he was crippled? Yep, that's what I said. And would you like to explain that? Sure. If Frank hadn't been crippled, the four friends wouldn't have brought him to Jesus. And if they hadn't brought him to Jesus, he would have never heard and received what Jesus gave him. He may have been able to walk, but he may have walked straight into hell. See, you're going to discover in our, in our Insanity of God series that how sovereign God is and that God who went to any extent necessary on a Roman cross to save the world will go to extreme extents to bring you into a saving relationship with Him. He will do extreme things for people to be saved. I remember I was preaching one night and I was talking about Paul and Silas in the jail and, and an earthquake came. And no one ran, no one left, the chains fell off. And I said to those preachers, men there that night, I said, so would God really send an earthquake so that a jailer could be saved? And someone said, no. I said, yes. Because again, if the purpose of the earthquake was so Paul and Silas could escape, it failed. Because they didn't leave. If the purpose of the earthquake was for the jailer to get saved, it was a success. So I know you don't understand that, and you may not even disagree with that. But there's a passel of people in this world and probably some in this room who will tell you, I met Jesus because of an adverse circumstance in my life. He brought me to a point where I cried out, God, I need you. And God was there to say, I'm here to rescue. I'm here to rescue. So he was fortunate that he had friends And yes, I believe he was fortunate in the sense that he was handicapped, he was crippled, so that God could walk into his life and he could walk out of the house later on. So the Bible says, they came to him, bringing this crippled guy, carried by four men, and since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, and we'll let that one pass, but there's some teaching there, because of the crowd, they removed the roof Above where he was. And when they had broken through, they lowered the mat on which the paralytic, the crippled man, was lying. I like this. So they couldn't get to Jesus. And most houses in those days, two things you need to know. One, they were flat roofs. They were very low. And two, they had an outside staircase. People would go up on the roof and, and sunbathe and dry rice and grain and all those different kind of things. It was like an extended outdoor living area. So they, they drag Frank, they drag Frank up the stairs and they get there and I guess they kind of estimated about where Jesus was. Now remember, this is where it's kind of funny. Whose house is it? Peter's house. I'm at, I'd, I'd love knowing Peter like we know Peter, if you know the Bible a little bit, you know. Knowing Peter, you kind of like to go, I wonder what Peter was thinking. You know, just a thought, just a thought. So, so they get there, and they begin tearing through this roof. Now, the roof would have been a mixture of ash and sand, a little bit of mortar thrown in, maybe some, some pumice, some small rock, and then had a thatch over it. So they would have torn through the thatch roof, and then they would have literally dug a hole through the roof. Now, remember, we're not talking about an 8-inch pipe. 
We're talking about big enough to let Frank down. Are you getting it? We're talking about probably, I would have to assume, probably they were a little bit shorter back in those days, but maybe a five-foot hole. And you can imagine, as Jesus is sitting there, conversely sharing with them the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, all of a sudden debris comes falling from the roof. And I'm sure people are going, what is going on? What is going on? And suddenly a hole appears and then more debris falls and they look up and see the faces of these four guys. How incredible is that? Why... Why would you tear a hole in a perfectly good roof? I mean, I've always wondered about guys who jump out of airplanes. I mean, there's probably a time to jump out of an airplane, but the motor's working. I'm on board. I'm good. I'm good. But there are people who actually wear little things on their back, you know, and hope that it works. They actually jump out of a perfectly good airplane and they, they call it parachuting. How crazy is that? So, so, so why would you tear up a perfectly good roof? Because that perfectly good roof was a barrier to Frank getting to Jesus. That's why. We need to understand, and I want to tell you up front, I think Dorsville does an incredible job at this. I wish, I wish I could share the conversation I have with my sister this week. I don't feel at liberty to do that, but it's about this. And I'm so grateful to Pastor Church. I'm not saying we do it easily and perfectly, but I'm glad I get to serve in a church that's not afraid to tear a hole in the roof. That's not afraid to remove barriers to lost people getting saved. Listen, if in fact this, this facility... No, 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 no. This ecclesia, this gathering of Christ's people, if it truly is about God and his heart, and God's heart is lost people, if it's truly about that, how could we allow any barriers to people being saved to exist? Now, that is often very uncomfortable. It involves things that are not traditionally comfortable for us. It involves us doing things differently. It involves, it involves building this building. Brent and I were just talking about this yesterday. We were, was it yesterday or was it Thursday in the office? Thursday. Thursday in the office. And we were just talking about how, was it nine years now? Coming up on nine years? We were all set to build a pretty big sanctuary, you know, and yay, and we were all on board for that. And God, he didn't, listen, God didn't shut the door. He slammed the door. And then one night, I don't remember how it happened, somebody said, why don't we think about building a multipurpose building? And when we agreed to pursue that, guess what happened? The door swung open. And yesterday, about 800 people, probably 200 up there, about 800 people were in this room. And they spilt sodas. I told you, I said, I don't know what it was, but it was a messy day at Dorsville. There was soda everywhere, popcorn over here. The bathrooms were well... They were dirty. They were dirty. I mean, you know what I mean? I mean, we could have said, you know what, Brent? Why do we want to mess up our pretty little building? You know, do you really think maybe we all just cancel All-Star for that? About 800 people came through the building. And some form or another, they heard the gospel of Jesus 
Christ. Come on now. Woo, come on. Come on. So, Dwayne, did you just whistle Dixie while you were mopping, helping Adrian mop the stains up? Nope. Dwayne, did you just have a good time? You know, you know, Judy cleans the girls' bathroom and I help clean the boys. There's a reason why it takes me five minutes and her 30. Guys, I'm just saying wash your hands when you're done. You know, I don't use that fancy soap she uses. I just kind of wipe everything down. It looks good to me. Let's go. Dwayne, do you enjoy putting your hand inside that toilet with that rag and washing around in there? Well, it's not my favorite thing. I, I, I remember most of the times to wash my hands, so it's okay. No. Dwayne, do you enjoy being part of a team that presents the gospel to 800 people on a Saturday? Oh, come on now. I'm telling you, we are blessed, guys. We are blessed. We are blessed. Because let me tell you something. That's what it is about. I was up there. You know, these, these Clayton kids. You know, one's a Reister now, but the Clayton kids. You know, and I, I don't normally call out names. Y'all know that. But doggone it, just bless my heart. You know, here's Roth up here. And I'm Roth, I remember when you started. And, and it would have been very difficult for him to stand up and, and do the gospel thing. I have seen this young man grow tremendously in his leadership and his love of God. Amen. And so then, on, on Wednesday night, and forgive me for doing this. On Wednesday night, you know, we, we lock up. The staff locks up. Sun, yeah, Sunday night. I'm sorry, thank you, Sunday night. And we do it Wednesday night too, but Sunday night. So I said, Pood, I'm going to go upstairs because the choir's still up there. The kids' choirs is still up there. So I go upstairs. Now, I'm going to say the D word. So if, you have, if you're offended by the D word, plug your ears. There were 25 kids dancing. You, did you think it was the other word? There were like 25 kids up there practicing for the spring musical. Rachel Reister's up there dancing with them. And pra- I'm going, this is incredible. This is incredible. And you know what's going to happen? All the moms and the dads and the grandmas and the grandpas and first cousins and second cousins and neighbors are going to come here on, on May the 1st. And they're going to come and see those little kids do their thing. And guess what they're going to hear? The gospel of Jesus Christ. That is exciting. That's exciting. But those things happen because we're willing to tear down the roof. That's why. And these guys were willing to tear through the barrier. Now, my question is this. What barriers are you willing to tear through? See, Paul said this. I am willing. Now, now y'all like Paul? Paul the Apostle? Remember, he's in the Bible. That thing we like, the book, the holy book. Remember that? Remember, he wrote like like two-thirds of the New Testament. That, That Paul. That Paul said this. I will do whatever it takes that by some means I might win some. Paul said... I, listen, if I have to act like a Jew, I act like a Jew. If I have to act like I'm under law, I act like under law. If I act like those not under law, I act like those under law. Whatever it takes, as long as people are saved. That needs to be our mentality. That needs to be our mentality. Whatever it takes, we want to see people saved. 
even if it's uncomfortable sometimes. Not unscriptural, but uncomfortable. So, so they tore this and they broke through. And listen, listen, listen. When you break through the barriers, people come to Jesus. Because what happens with Frank? They tore this hole in and Frank gets lowered down right there, right there in front of Jesus. I know the trustees would be going, they can't tear a hole in our roof. I knew I was in for something good when I came here 14 years ago and y'all put a Jeep on the stage in the sanctuary. Not in this room. They took Greg Elam's Jeep and drove it up. I said, we're in something crazy here. There ain't no doubt about that. So they removed the barrier for the sake of the gospel. Say that with me. They removed the barrier for the sake of the gospel because that's what it's all about. Harrisburg Country Club's not that way. But we're not a country club, are we? We're the Dorsville Baptist Church, a hospital for sinners. Hospital for sinners. So, the Bible says in verse number 5, we're going to cut this dude short, I can tell already. Seeing their faith, all five of them, the, the, the four boys that were carrying Frank, and Frank, because Frank's going, I ain't like this, guys. When Jesus saw their faith, Jesus told the crippled guy, son, and that's a term of infection, son, your sins are forgiven. Now again, I know someone's going there, wait, whoa, 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 the dude is crippled. Dude, I know he's crippled. But there's a greater need than his crippled legs. And that is his dead soul. And Jesus rightly puts the right priority where it belongs. He looks at Frank, sees Frank's greatest need and says, Your sins are forgiven. You see, in about three weeks, we're going to open the mercy corner. The closed ministry. Only it's not a closed ministry. It's a hook to share the gospel. It's a, it's a way to share the gospel. If all we do is give away clothes, we're just a clothes giveawayer. If we get people in here and give them clothes and share the gospel, then it becomes a ministry. Y'all getting quiet? Am, am I okay? Y'all getting quiet on me. In, in, in August, we're going to run about 1,400 people through this building. And we're going to raise about $17,000 outside of our budget. And we're going to give away shoes and school supplies and give haircuts and underwear and socks. And we may have the dental clinic bag, let them come and do their thing. And you know what? That's not a school supply giveaway. That's a Jesus opportunity. That's for people to be, are you getting it? Pray. Hey, you know what? October thing, I think we ought to do a thing called Judgment House. And we're going to run about a 1,000 people through the building then too. And that's not about an alternative to Halloween. That's not about a drama. That's not about let's tell a story. That's a Jesus opportunity. Because the last thing they do is down that hallway is hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are y'all getting it yet? That's what it's all about. Because you see, it's all, if all you do is feed people and don't give them the gospel, they get fat and go to hell. If all you do is give them clothes, they look good and die and go to hell. You give them a pencil and they can write, but then they die and go to hell. But if you give them the gospel, come on now. If you give them the gospel, 
They're not only changed for this life. They're changed forever. And did I mention forever? Come on. Yeah, come on. Come on. And they're changed forever. Now, now let me tell you part of the story about baby Jessica. I didn't know. You know how folks are. They want to help in a crisis. So when baby Jessica is stuck in the tube 22 feet down, people wanted to help. And they started giving money for baby Jessica. They raised $800,000. And three years ago, when she turned 25, Brent, she got $800,000. Is that not incredible? Can I ask you a question? Would it have done her much good if she was dead? What if she, what they'd said, well, the rescue may be too expensive. It's a little bit involved. Can we have a meeting and talk about it? Can we, listen, this has never been done before. We need to really think about this. It's not like a Baptist church, doesn't it? All that money wouldn't have brought her back to life. But because she was rescued, she enjoyed the blessings for years to come. When lost people are redeemed, when lost people are rescued, when lost people are saved, the benefits go on for eternity. And that's what we've got to be about. Well, we're out of time. Let me just tell you the end of the story. The scribes and Pharisees get all fired up, mad. Who do you think you are? You think you're God? And Jesus goes, oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, you think you're God? Only God can do that. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm God. I'm, I'm God. And so then, then Jesus says, okay, well, since you can know, I want you to know, listen, I want you to be absolutely sure, I want you to know without a doubt that the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins. So here's what we're going to do. He looked at Frank and said, Frank, get up and walk. And Frank acted on his faith, his belief in Jesus, and he got up, took up his mat, because Jesus said, take up your mat, and he walked. He walked. Now, Frank was changed for all eternity, but Frank was changed for the short term. I'm just telling you this. If you're sitting there going, yeah, I've been waiting this Jesus thing. You know, I'm, I'm, I want to go to heaven, and yeah, you know, and let me just tell you something. About 39 years ago, I gave up religion for Jesus. Let me just say that again. I gave up religion for Jesus. Three times a week, three times a week in church, lost as a goose. It was a way for me to climb the social ladder in the church. There were girls, and I was a happy camper. Just telling you the way it was. Back in my younger days, I was pretty suave. After I met Judy, got right. I got saved. I gave up religion and got Jesus. And it has been one incredible ride. He has never failed me. He has never lied to me. He has never left me nor forsaken me. He's brought me further than I ever would have gone. Life has been richer. Life has been fuller. And I even got to heaven yet. Can I have a witness? Can I have a witness? 
If you're contemplating Jesus, I'm just telling you, it's the best deal you'll ever find. When Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe, sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. When a man loves me enough to die for me, and then becomes my best friend forever, my king forever, my redeemer forever, my rescuer forever, I'm telling you, it's a good deal. Now, church isn't. Religion's not. I'm sorry. Religion's a bunch of rules. You know, you keep the rules and don't change the name of God, but it makes you look good. But you get redeemed and you get a relationship by grace, by grace, and boy, it's a game changer. So let me wind this up. One this. If you're here today, and you may have come because someone invited you, may have made a New Year's resolution, a little start, late getting started, but you came to church today. I hope I made it clear today that God loves you so much. He wants to rescue you. You're stuck in the tube. And he went to every length possible to get you out of the tube. All you've got to do is say yes. He sent his son, Jesus Christ. The wages of sin was death. Christ died for our sins. He endured the wrath of God for our sins. He proved he was God by getting up again on the third day. And God wants to extend his grace if you'll turn from your sin and choose to follow Christ, believing that Jesus is who he said he was. I've got my friend Brent's going to be standing down front here in just a few minutes. Now, I would love, I, I'm, I'm going to have everybody bow their heads. It's going to be you and God. But the truth is, I know you've got questions, and we want to give you some answers. And we've got some folks who will be glad to pray with you and talk with you and, and try to answer your questions. We'll share with you maybe what God's done for us. That's one. The second is this. Thank you. Listen, look, 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 look. Thank you for being the church you are. No, we're not perfect. No, we're not there. And we probably never will get totally there. But I want to thank you for being the church that you are. I thank a church that's willing to tear a hole in the roof so Frank can get to Jesus. Thank you for being that church. Now pray for wisdom for us to continue that journey with Jesus. That as, as time goes on, as missions avail themselves, there will always be a church of the gospel, always a church of the gospel, really realizing that's about him and the ones outside these walls who have yet to meet Jesus. Let's bow our heads.